0: Good day, good evening, good night, whatever time of the day it is for you. I pray that everyone can hear me, so let me know that you can hear me well today. Um, I seem to be having some issues with uh, my camera or my microphone, etc., but it's okay. Lord willing, if you can hear me, everything will be good. Um, In part of our questions tonight, I have continued to pick through some of the questions that I've gotten over the last month or so, and... um, as you know from last week and then tonight, we're going to talk about interpretation of the Scripture. We're going to talk about you know the purposes of the writing of the Bible, how to apply and live out the Scripture, and things of that nature. For those of you who don't know, my name is James, pastor of Grace Truth Church. You can ask your questions in the chat. You can also ask your questions in... Um, On AnchoringFaith.org or GraceTruth.org or on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, click that like button down there or the subscribe button. And then um, if you're on any of our other platforms, we welcome you. We're glad you're here. We typically do this every Sunday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, except for the last Sundays of every month, we take time off uh, to deal with some things. But I've got three or four questions tonight that I'm hoping I can get to uh, as it relates to living out the Scripture, living out the Scripture. And for those of you who have been... uh, (laughs) Part of the conversations on Facebook, you'll know that my presence on Facebook has been nominal over the last few months, and it is going to continually and gradually decrease. Um, And I personally, you know, our ministry will still be there, our chat groups will still be there, but personally, I'm going to disengage. And the primary reason for that is because um, I I found myself through the years spending a lot of time with um, a lot of people uh, from. All over the world, and I don't mean I don't mind doing that. But what has happened is is that because I have engaged so deeply in some people's lives, they have taken that for granted and taken advantage of that to the detriment of the church um, in a negative sense. And so, I don't want to go into any more detail of that. But it has not been has not been a very pleasant experience over the last um, eight to nine months. <clears throat> for those of you who are aware. However, the Lord is sovereign, and He purposes all things after the counsel of His will. He purposes all things for our good, and so we're very thankful that He has continued to to provide for us uh, the, the the engagement with you all uh, to teach the truth of the gospel. And if you ever have questions about what's taught, if you have questions about our clarity or things of that nature, or you want to learn, we are always called by the Scripture to help each other learn. We're always called to be able to to, to be patient and to discuss things. But those discussions come to a halt when the discussions and the intimacy becomes conditional. In other words, if I tell you what you must do or be in order for me to have a a relationship with you or a conversation with you, uh, those things, that's just not the way that the scripture calls us to. And brothers and sisters, we need to make sure that we guard ourselves and our hearts and minds against those types of relationships. The scripture teaches us to just have nothing to do with people who are divisive and constantly um, causing division in their relationships. Of the of the church, as well as those who uh, continually refuse to lay down false doctrines and out of pride, anything that causes division in any way, we um, <clears throat> we just we sort of just settle that by obeying what the scripture teaches. And I'm going to have to go in real quick on this first um, question. Uh, I forgot to put the other questions in as I sat here. Uh, I remembered that. Um, <laughs> I had to add a few notes. I wanted to add a few notes as I was teaching so that it would be easier for you guys. And then I'm going to delete this one. You won't even see it, but there you go. Uh, So here we are. We have a couple of questions tonight, and this is going to be the first two. I'm sort of sticking them together. They're left over from last week. But what is the purpose of church history for the believer? And does this also apply to the theology of history or historical theology? And let me explain to you what church history is and what, um, you know, really what historical theology is. It, it's sort of self-explanatory, but I assume that everybody understands this, so I'll explain it there. Uh, church history is just the historical record of the church, and it, we, we see it in the book of Acts. Uh, as I talked about last week, uh, the Gospels, we see some church history, and, um, you know, we know that the scripture is the only historical record that matters. Now, I'm going to say that. I want to say it very clearly. The scripture is the only historical record that matters concerning the things of the church. I'm not talking about the history of the world and everything in it. So, church history is not the Bible. Uh, church history. When somebody says church history, what they're saying or what they're discussing is the you know the annals of church history. Like I've got um, you know Philip Schaff's. Complete volumes up there, and we see, you know, early church history. We see, uh, you know, I've got, I've got uh, Clement and and some other historical writings of people who were pastors and elders early in, in the turn of the century, the second century, the third century. We see different establishments of church hierarchy. We see the cult's birth. We see all sorts of denominations' birth. So church history is just the historical record. And the records are wide and broad, and every iteration of religion and every iteration of the Christian religion, um, in a historical sense has its own historical pages, has things to think about, things to read. And so church history then, um, has in some people's minds become the record of the work of God. But that is true in a sovereign sense. But beloved, the, the, the seasons of history, And the continued theology that comes out of that historical record, which would be called historical theology, does not make the authority of the Bible any better. As a matter of fact, most of those things usurp the authority of Scripture by people being able to quote historical things and use historical language above and beyond what the language of the Scripture teaches. And I'm not talking about the use of words in as much as I'm talking about the use of ideas And then when the use of words become more dominant than the teaching of Scripture itself within a particular vernacular, um, historical theology and historical uh, church history become the power behind it. And and that's a dangerous place because what that does is it allows non-apostolic authority, in other words, men who are not apostles, to tell the church what they should do and how they should believe. And there is no man in the world that has that authority. Jesus Christ appointed his 13 apostles and that was the end of it <clears throat> that was the end of it they are the only ones who have authority over the church there is no succession of aposto- of the apostles there's no apostolic succession there's no apostolic office there's no there's you know we might have pastors who help churches get started but they're not apostles and so the use of that term today you know a lot of people don't believe they're an apostle but they use that term erroneously um, and you know of course it means the sent one or the messenger, but in the context of the New Testament, these are people that God taught by the Holy Spirit and has called them to be the, the you know the the pens or the voices of continued revelation uh, uh, concerning the doctrines of Christ. So the purpose of church history for the believer first is is a hobby. Okay, I think it, it's a hobby for me. I like history of everything. As a matter of fact, I, I've 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 learned the history of of certain types of um, Wind turbines this week, uh, I, I've just, and, and some of you think, well, man, what in the world? Listen, if I see something odd come across my desk, uh, I'll read it. I'll read an article. So if I read four or five articles a week, it may take me 20 minutes, but it doesn't mean that I'm, that I'm spending hours upon hours upon hours of time, you know, diving into things. I do have my other interests, but history's one that my household, my wife, uh, loves history, is very well versed in European history and U.S. history. And so, you know, there, there are a lot of, th- I'm just, I'm always interested. I'm inquisitive and I enjoy learning new information, especially when it, become, when it relates to how people live and some of the things that have happened in the lives of people. You know, some of my favorite times in life is to sit around and just let people tell their story and tell me things about their lives and their family and things of that nature. I just enjoy it. So church history for the believer should really be um, a hobby. It should be an interest. But it cannot be something that undergirds or supports or stacks up or stands up or holds up our faith. Because if it does, then several things could happen. And I haven't really thought this through much, so I'm going to leave out some stuff. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to, I'm going to leave it at this. But something can happen in the context that someone else's ideas and response to their engagement with scripture or with the gospel or with the congregation that they may be in historically, or their theology, may begin to twist our minds, and I use the word usurp often, but that's, that's the best word that I've come up with yet, but usurp and overpower the authority of scripture, thus not being learned by God, but being taught by God, but being taught by someone else's experience, that's one danger. And in like kind, the second type of danger that we have when we use church history in an authoritative way is that we begin to establish our theological positions not from the source, which is the Word of God, but rather through a trickle-down-the-lane mentality— so I mean I can speak authoritatively about all, all sorts of different things and this year um I have spent hundreds and I and this is seriously I've spent hundreds of hours um you know studying the historical record uh in the context of the the topic of of common grace as it is understood historically. And that theology and so a lot of people just sort of rest on that the- on that historic historicity and they don't know how to defend it whatsoever except inference in the word of god and so there's something to be said about that when we when we learn the scripture uh we first learn directly from the scripture and then we apply and live those things according to the scripture the inferences or further ideas or philosophizing or reasoning logically because of what we clearly see is always tertiary it's third in the context we can listen to those things we can think about those things but they are never through they are never the foundation for making right judgments right judgments concerning the truth of Christ the truth of the confession of Christ for people who are born of God etc can be found in the simple teaching of scripture when we impose church history and historical theology against scripture we are causing a lot of damage and I have been on this I have been on this drum uh, even when I was working you know in in my postgraduate stuff and working toward my terminal degree um, I've always been beating this drum and People don't like it because we love the things that we love. Uh, it doesn't mean that we can't enjoy them. Uh, for example, I like to we- to read William Plummer um, in the Psalms. I love to read his commentary, and I do so because I really enjoy... Uh, reading what he has to say about how he not interprets the Psalms, but how he worships through the Psalms. So it'd be like if I got up on Sunday morning and read some poems that that I wrote throughout the week based on my interaction with the scripture, it would be a blessing to the people who heard it. It would be an encouragement, but it would not be power and it would not be authoritative. So my experience is not authoritative, neither are the experiences of the people who have lived before us or the people who may be famous because of history or the historical record like what we call the reformers or church fathers or john gill like famous baptist ministers i mean uh, you know brother scott price gave me a john gill set um a couple of years ago and it's as one of my prized possessions it's one of my it's one of my highest idols and physical things uh, but you know he he's he's not authoritative and I enjoy reading what he has to say, and I agree with almost all of it. Um, but that's not where I go to get my understanding. The same thing, I, uh, you know, with, with church history or what have you. So that's the quick and short answer to that. I can make this entire broadcast tonight. I can make this entire video uh, about this and and talk. But I think if I did, I actually would be doing. Uh, harm, more harm than good. Now, this next question may take up the remainder of our time. So uh, I pray that, that that if you know, if I've never told you to take notes before, but right at the end of, you know, five minutes till I was typing in some things, which is what I just had to replace. And uh, I wanted to make sure that the things that I was going to say um, I told a brother earlier today that I had about sixteen things i don't think i I think I've put them down to maybe ten uh i'll answer this next question the next question is this sorry guys I'm rambling here. How should we approach the text in understanding it and are there assumptions that should guide us now uh you'll notice that I'm adding some questions together. There were about five questions in this set, and when we um when we come to learning things that are taught, we have a pet word that we use called doctrine. And we go, oh, this is the doctrine of, and this is the doctrine of. And let me go ahead and let's, let's, let's eliminate some things out of our vocabulary for a minute. The word doctrine literally means teaching. So if I'm to learn the doctrines found in the New Testament, it means I'm learning the teachings of the apostles and the teachings of Jesus, period. All the teachings, so there's no such thing as a set of academic things. There's not a list of things. Uh, so when we say doctrine, a lot of times people think there's theological things there, which is part of doctrine. There's historical things in the Bible that are part of doctrine. There's some commands in the Bible that are part of doctrine. There's some proclamations in the Bible that are part of doctrine. And the whole show last week was about the understanding of how we approach the Scripture and that. And I'm sorry that I, I didn't even have the... the the chat history up or the chat window up it's a separate it's a separate software i didn't even turn it on last week and i'm so sorry because i know that the microphone had gotten pushed away so now i'm up a little bit closer to the camera and everything today but uh, uh hopefully you could hear it enough <laughs> to to understand it but you know we we need to realize that yeah there there are hermeneutical principles there are principles about how to deal with the genre of the text you know is this a narrative is this prose? Is it history? Uh, you know, is it just, is it poetry? Um, and I didn't mean to say prose in that context, but is it poetry? Is, is it a song? Is, is it, uh, you know, is it prophetic? Is What kind of text is it, and how do we read it, and how do we apply it? Those are interesting things that are important, but I've learned that when God teaches the people that he has called to understand the gospel, when he teaches us the scripture, we don't really have to think about these things. Now, they help us in problematic areas, but we don't really have to think about literary styles. We don't have to think about genre. We don't have to think about, you know, the syntax, until we get to a place that we start saying, what does that really mean? You, you know what I'm talking about when there's some the text in the scripture where we have to really pay attention. And there's always somebody that can come along and help us. But for the most part, and I believe this is true not only in my experience, but from the context of Jesus teaching his own disciples, uh, the, the teachings of Christ carried by the Holy Spirit are simple. And so there are some things that we need to assume and understand as we approach the Bible, and those are the things that I that I want to talk about today. So let's, let's just let's just dive right in. The first thing that I want you to understand, and these are not in any particular order, and like I say, there were sixteen or eighteen of these, and I've tried to consolidate them. So forgive me if this doesn't sound as academic as it should, or as spiritual as it should. Uh, but these are just things that I think the Scripture details for us in its in its holistic picture. Um, of just common sense and good, divinely inspired understandings. So when we approach the Bible and we try to understand it and we try to apply it and we try to interpret it, what are some things that we need to keep in mind? And here's the first one. Oh, well, right here. Um, know that Scripture is God breathed, and Second Timothy three sixteen it teaches us that Scripture is breathed out by God, um, and that means it's carried along by God. That God has caused the writing of Scripture. the The Bible attests to that, not just in Timothy, but everywhere else that we see that God gave this word here. God gave this word here. Paul specifically says that you know when he makes a difference uh, or a differentiation between his thoughts and wisdom on something. And then, uh, you know, the command that the God, the Holy Spirit has given him, he'll say, like he says to the Corinthians in in chapter seven of first Corinthians, he'll say that this is from me, not the Lord. These are my thoughts, but not a command from the Lord. And then he'll pick back up and he'll say, now this is from the Lord, not from me. Um, So scripture is breathed out by God. That means God's revelation of himself to his people is written in these, in these books. And these, all these different writings. And this is a compilation of 66 writings. Uh, The Bible is not a book in and of itself. It's not a composition. This is not one composition. This is 66. And depending on your thoughts on Isaiah and some other places, we have 66 compositions. They could be 60, could be 60, could be 70, depending on how you look at, you know, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, 1st, 2nd, Isaiah, things of that nature. But as far as we know in the Christian faith, you know, there are 66 separate writings, separate books, letters, literary compositions that comprise the Bible that we know. And God, throughout the history of the writing of these documents, not only has he written them according to these documents, but he has preserved them perfectly according to these documents. And the the, the attestation of the scripture gives its author as divine in every aspect. So when we approach the Bible as believers, we by faith believe this is God speaking, not what God has said, not what God has done, though it contained that, but what God is saying today. So God is revealing himself to us through 66 independent writings that have been compiled divinely with his sovereign power and purposes so that we might know him as the creator, redeemer of his people. And all the ways in which God has established this salvation and redemption um, is is chronicled here. All the teachings that are necessary to understand the depths of the, ju- the you know the judicial idea of this of this redemption are here in the Bible. Um, and it's interesting because I say this my entire life, I've said these things. And I've said these things when I say my entire life, my entire ministry life, and I constantly press the, the 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 great emphasis about the Scripture alone. Period. No matter what, and a lot of people jump into that. They go, "Oh, you're certainly right. You're certainly right. You're certainly right." And they enjoy that aspect of our ministry, or our teaching, the emphasis of Scripture. But then when it rubs against some of their practical theology or their historical theology or their or, or you know their church history it, it drives them a little bit silly or when it rubs against our inferences it drives them a little bit upset and then they don't want to listen to the teaching anymore. And so that's something that we have to make sure that we remember scripture is God's revelation. And so when Paul says this is how you settle differences, when Paul says this is the epitome of worship, when Paul says do this and don't do that to ignore those things is to truly say i will not listen to god and to close one's ears it doesn't matter who says it unbelieving heretics and charlatans became the evangelist in philippi when paul was arrested he says it he says they were preaching out of pretense and false motives they did not know what they did not know the the, the truth they were not god's people yet they could mimic and parrot the message of Christ, and what does Paul say? Let them preach because the truth was there. No matter who or what or through whatever means the Scripture is given, the Scripture is authoritative because it is God speaking. It is God speaking. Now, that doesn't mean that everybody who uses the Bible is right. That's why these questions are so important. We have to read the Bible and... And we have to read the Bible in certain uh, with a certain understanding and with a certain approach, et cetera. And let's keep going. First thing is we need to know that Scripture is breathed out by God. The second thing is goes without saying, and I've probably already said it probably a dozen times tonight, but the Bible is the final authority on all matters of faith and all matters concerning the faith, or in other words, the teaching concerning the truth of the revelation of God to his people concerning their redemption through his son, which starts in Genesis and goes all the way through all the letters of the Bible, even the maps in the back. So the Bible is the final authority. James Tippins is not the final authority. The elders are not the final authority. Uh, as a matter of fact, if, if, if you remember in some previous discussions we've had, elders are called and equipped by God divinely to rightly divide the word of truth, is what Paul says in Timothy to divide the word of truth, and to teach others to divide the word of truth in order to give oversight to the intimacy of the church and the teaching of this church and the instruction of the church that the church may be, as what does he say to the Ephesians, may be taught to do the work of the ministry, to meet each other's needs. And for some strange reason in our day, everybody wants to be a theologian. What Pastor Shepherds are not theologians. Uh, This is a misapplication of learning the Bible to think we're supposed to be professors and theologians and and academics. No. Study to show yourself approved that you may rightly handle the Word of God does not make us an expert academically. It shows us humbly that matters of faith, that what we're supposed to do and what we're supposed to know have uh, come from the Bible alone, Not not from any other source. And so when the elders of a church When they answer the call of God appropriately, they teach the Scripture, they equip the church, and they watch out that the church stays in unity and doesn't allow people to come in and run amok and cause division and fear and anger and frustration in the the body of Christ no matter what. Because when people are corrected, we are to celebrate that correction. When people refuse to listen to correction, we are to warn them. Then we are to have nothing else to do with them until they come back and say, You know what? I was wrong. I'm going to listen to the Word of God now. So a reasonable person being led by the Spirit will listen to the Scripture when the Scripture tells us to do certain things or teaches us certain doctrinal matters. Inferences and distinctions outside the Scripture are not authoritative. They are not God-given. That is Gnosticism. And we do not we do not hold to the authority of outside knowledge coming in through logic and reason and all these other ideas. Now some people go, well, you know, no, we're not yell butting anything. We're gonna to hold to the authority of the word of God on matters of faith. And if our thoughts and thinking go outside the margins of clear teaching, we put those to death because they're not important. They may be beneficial. To ourselves, but they 're not beneficial, and nor, nor are they required to be taught to the church if it 's not written in the Bible, it should not be taught to the church as a doctrinal distinction. so the Bible is the final authority on matters of faith, handling faith, living faith, etc three biblical synergy provides what I call a safety net. it will not contradict or deny its own teaching, in other words, itself. Um, is self-teaching, uh, it's self-interpreting, um, and it also is inerrant. Now, people don't like the word synergy, but it actually means works together. The Bible works together. In other words, the Bible is always teaching the same thing. Excuse me, the Bible is, is illustrating the same thing. The Bible is pushing its readers to the same truth and it does not contradict itself. So we come to the Bible knowing that when we open its pages, it is God-breathed, it is the final authority, and it works together with itself to teach us about itself. And we don't do that through proof texting. Let me tell you what proof texting is. Proof texting is for me to take a verse and use a sentence or a verse and say the verse and then tell you what it means without the whole of the words around it "...without the subject in the paragraphs surrounding those words, and without the whole of the actual letter in which it's found, and without the whole of the actual scripture in which it's bound." So I probably cannot repeat that. It sounded a little poetic there, but I can't repeat it. You can rewind it. Um, but this, this is biblical synergy. We know that the Bible works together and interprets, is interpreted by itself and that it's not contradictory. It does not deny its own teaching. So when we find things that seem contradictory to us in our own mind, we know that it's because we're looking at it incorrectly. So we have to back up and look at the whole. Next. The fourth thing that we need to understand is the simplicity of Scripture. And we need to realize what is being said simply. Uh, I have a, a, a plaque somewhere that I used to keep in my study when I was in California. And when I walked into my door, it was, you know, it was about 15 inches long and about eight inches high. And it was just this metal cutout, the word simplify. Because as I learn things and as I work through things, I mean, I'm a poet, philosopher, <laughs> I like to think, uh, but I, I found that I opined too much in the areas of my own imagination. And people would look at me like, what are you trying to say? What, what are you trying to walk us through? What are you trying? And I realized that I was not doing that church any good. So I went and I found this, I wasn't looking for it, but I was at a, a store one day and I saw this big metal thing that said simplify. And I, and I said, you know, I should, I should do something like that in my, um, in my study and the very next week somebody in the church bought it for me and brought it to me said here put this in your study to simplify the way you speak and simplify the things that you're saying to realize that the scripture is sufficient and you don't need to have you don't need to have all this high knowledge and this high vocabulary in order to and teach the people of God correctly. For some strange reason, yes, like Brother Queller said you don't have to have a PhD. To, listen, uh, you know, terminal degrees are fun for those who like to do research, for those who like to do uh, you know uh, project based things and. And it's great, but it doesn't make you a better pastor. It doesn't make you a better Bible teacher. It doesn't do anything sometimes but get in the way. Um, The Scripture is simply enough. And what it says is simple enough to be understood, especially when the divine is at play. And we'll talk about that as well. The Bible instructs on things that we are to both know and to do. Uh, Years ago, and I mean, this is original in my brain, but I'm not the first person to have ever said it. Uh, is we answer the question, so what, or now what, uh, which is the therefores, the therefores of the Bible. We we learn about the love of God. We learn about the gospel. We learn about the grace of God for his people. We learn about all these things, and then we ask the question, now what, or so what, or therefore, or what do we do with that? Because the scripture teaches us things to know about God and about ourselves as humanity, uh, about Redemption, and what God has done and who God is and all this stuff. And then the apostles give us things to do. Therefore, because of that, do. So we're to love, to love, to love, to love, to love. And it's amazing how a lot of people who say they're loving have never said a loving thing or done a loving deed or given in love themselves to anybody. But they say they're loving because they're constantly cracking heads and cracking whips. Beloved, the love of God does not crack whips. Um, and yes, he disciplines those he loves, but discipline is not punitive; it's 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 corrective. So uh, you know you're. You're using it like if you held your if you held a cup with the backs of your hands, a hot coffee, and you and you held it like this and somebody says, No, 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 don't do that. This is discipline. Hold it this way. Because if you keep doing that, you're gonna spill it on yourself. You're gonna burn yourself, you're gonna burn your computer, you're gonna do all sorts of damage. Turn around this way. For our good, the Lord corrects us. Yes, when we sin there's some consequences of that, but it's not still not punitive. It's corrective. It's to show us his sufficiency, it's to show us his love for us, and to correct us for our joy and for our good and so on and so forth. So the Bible instructs us to both know and do, and we cannot ignore either. If we ignore one, we are denying the authority of Scripture and we're spitting at God. And if we deny the other, we're denying the authority of Scripture and spitting at God. We have to take the full counsel of the Word of God. And I say this, and it's going to sound so self-serving, beloved, but if, if those who are called to be elders are divinely gifted, according to the scripture, to keep simply the scripture before the church and to patiently guide and instruct the sheep. And the sheep who listen to that counsel from Paul and the apostles and from Jesus on how to deal with things, how to deal with conflict, how to deal with emotions, how to deal with differences, how to deal with false teaching, how to deal with sin and and aggression and everything else, those people will rejoice because they will be shown the reconciliation, the doing, comes from God alone, not from our desires and our so-called wisdom. We are not wise in our own minds. Um, So we have to do that, which is counterintuitive, which is to be submissive to the scripture. And a lot of people aren't going to like that because they don't like having their babies called ugly. And I'm at the point where I really am not concerned about how people feel when their babies get called ugly. (laughs) So if my baby's ugly and I know it's ugly. I need to just confess it. it's ugly and move on so that I am reconciled to God's people and then I'm at peace. And when I'm saying that, I'm not talking about a literal baby, but sometimes our way of thinking is such an idol that it's like if you told a new mother her baby was ugly. That's that's the point in that, in that uh, illustration. The sixth thing is that we need to realize and understand that scripture should be exposed or exposited. In other words, I've already said this, but it becomes self-interpreting in its context. Contextually, what the Bible is saying is answered. Um, I, I've I've moved off. Well, I've not moved off, but, you know, I'm not on social media much, but I've been part of some forums for decades. Um, and I still get questions from, from people from time to time in some of those forums. And I had one last week. It's the first time in about a month that I've gotten one in this particular uh, medium. They They wanted to know about, you know, how 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 is jesus how does jesus and the elect have one source what is this does that prove that jesus is created talking about hebrews chapter uh 12 i think it was and no because when you read before and then when you continue to read it's talking about the fact that god the father sent the son and god the father called the elect god the father created humanity god the father sent the Son into humanity, and so on and so forth. There's the specific reality of what that is trying to teach is continued in the context of the Scripture uh, below it. And so we don't have to sit here and ponder about all these things philosophically. We can philosophize on these things theologically within the context of the Scripture, so we can learn simply by listening to what the scripture says and expounds and you'll find that especially for example like in um in first and second peter there's a lot of instruction in those letters and it's difficult sometimes what does it mean to have your calling and election sure oh my goodness I, I, what what is this what's this I thought assurance no listen it teaches us to practically live out the faith and in doing so, God promises to continue to reassure us. Why? Because we're with the body of Christ. We're together in the gospel. We're unified in the understanding of grace. And we continue to live as worshipers serving each other. You know, you worship Christ by serving each other. You love Christ only by loving one another sacrificially, sometimes at a great cost. Um, And then in doing that, the scripture teaches us if we continue to read, it'll show us contextually that these things will not hinder your joy, nor will they hinder your assurance, but you won't even be inundated with all of this doubt and despair when you're serving the Lord's people. It won't enter into your mind. It'll just, you'll just sort of live at peace with the knowledge of truth. And so this is a prescription that God has written. Exposition is what protects us in our understanding of that. And then this one, seven, these are, see, you notice I've really do have like 18, but I've put them into, I've put them in pairs. Uh, We've, we've looked at at a lot of things, you know, how, how are you to understand and apply scripture and, you know, scripture is to be learned individually. And when I say learned individually, I mean, read individually. Uh, You should, you should read the Bible. Okay. I have more Bibles than I could ever use, and I've recently picked up another one that, you know, I like a reader's Bible, and I didn't have a, uh, I did, I only had a hardback reader's Bible, and so I picked me up a leather-bound reader's Bible that doesn't have any footnotes or anything in it, and I love to read it, and I learn Scripture when I open it and I read it, not when I study the notes, not when I study the commentaries, not when I listen to the teaching. Um, I do learn things from that. But when I learn Scripture by myself, it's because I'm reading it, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading it, and I'm reading it. Uh, You'll find the Lord will teach you if you read the Scripture. Then, corporately, we come together and we share that learning. We share what we've been reading, and we engage with each other in that reading. And then the pastor shepherds who are called and, and going to be held accountable for the joy and the oversight of the intimacy and the correction and the forgiveness and the love of the church and the purity of the church and all those things, in the the very small scope that they've been given that responsibility, they have to exercise that oversight. And as the pastors teach the church from the Scripture, the church is always on guard because they are learning the Scripture through the reading. Then the pastors read the Scripture and they're learning. Then they're instructing the church in matters necessary for the church's joy and then it all works together doesn't it so the bible must be learned individually and then shared and taught corporately so that we are affirming each other's learning now what i'm not saying here is that the historical church and the hierarchies of the bishops of the historical church have the final authority we've already done that and if you're just now popping in in the middle of this video go back and listen to this entire this is answer 7 of this question um and so realize that the scripture is the final authority. It's like somebody accusing us of usurping the authority of scripture with uh, using the framework of historical confessions friends we've been we've been rewriting confessions for five and a half six years now, and uh, we have so many caveats um, that last year, the middle of last year, I just took. All those documents down off of our um, off of our public sphere and off of our webpage, and I and and then the wording is still there, but it's it's very clear that the authority of Scripture and Scripture alone is that which we use to understand the things according to the Bible, the things of Christ, the teaching, the doctrines, all these things, the theologies, and the application of those things. So, any time we may say, "Oh, this is what I think," when we corporately get together, we begin to experience stuff. Uh, that we've never experienced before. We begin, we begin to experience issues or problems or thoughts or ideas, and how we handle them is biblical. And then when we come on the other side of them, we realize, you know what? We we had no idea about this, or we were wrong over here, or we got this right. And then we massage and change the information that we have in our minds and then the information that we hold to for the public to see as Christians corporately and without corporate submission to the Word of God, that'll never take place. Everybody will be a federation of Christianity upon themselves, and they can do exactly what they want to do. And beloved, there is no call in the entire Bible for a Lone Ranger evangelist, Lone Ranger theologian, Lone Ranger. uh, There's nobody. Nobody. There is no such thing as a Jeremiah in today's time. God does not call people to these things anymore. He calls all believers to be subject to the word and to be subject to the apostles' teaching and to as much as possible, if they are able, be submissive to the teaching of scripture corporately to other believers and to the oversight of elders who teach the gospel. And that is not a lording over. That is a safety net. And so we we learn and The only way that we are going to know that we understand the joy of intimacy is when we find things we disagree on. And then when we see the Lord flesh those things out, he is worshiped for it. Those who refuse to flesh these things out, according to the Bible, they can live in their misery uh, because there's nothing for them in that context. So approach the Bible in this way. Eight, biblical instruction is to be applied practically. Now, I've already said this, but I feel like I needed to practically deal with it in the closing section of this question, because if we don't apply practically the Bible, we're not paying attention to it. So, for example, if there is a division in the church, and why do I keep saying that? Because that's last week. The whole reason that most of the letters were written is because of division in the church. Division. And what was the division? The division always had to do with relationships. Relationships were at odds either because of someone's sinful actions, like they were having incest, they were committing adultery, they were stealing, they were lying. Or someone's sinful teaching, who they continued to want to stir things and cause problems with false teaching. Or sinful attitudes, like feeling better than others, or hating people, or not wanting to be around people. Um, and so, all of this, you know, is a practical instruction. Because of the great gospel of free and sovereign grace, therefore, you all need to get along. Elders, I'm holding you responsible, the Lord says, for making sure people listen to the word. If they don't listen to the word, have nothing else to do with them until they learn to play Nice and to be submissive and at peace. You realize the whole Christian experience is supposed to be wrought with trials and 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 suffering, yet we're supposed to be at peace in the midst of that. And beloved, I have allowed my flesh to become very sinful over the last year because I have submitted to my anxiety and to my stress and to my what-ifs and all these things and it's just become, it's become overbearing to the point of physical illness. And by the Lord's mercy, he's brought me through it and, and putting me on a path to, to health emotionally and physically and by all means spiritually. But I cannot fall back into that by thinking that there's something that I must do to eliminate trials and suffering. Those are promised to us. The difference maker is, Am I willing to continue to be together intimately with those who will practically apply the Bible? And the answer is yes. And in contrast, I have no obligation to those who are not willing to practically apply the Bible in every circumstance. And that is such a piece for me because I think, I say, I humble brag because in my mind, I know that I don't have any power or anything that can help anybody But there's always something in the back of my mind because of my actions and my obsessions with issues of division and stress, etc. I think I can fix it if. I wish I could just do, if I could just, or that I mull around on how I could have done differently, what I could do better. And the Bible gives us those answers practically. Here's the instruction. Here's the truth of the gospel. Here's the commands. Do these things. You don't, you're not going to listen to that? Well, then you're off the hook. Goodbye. Um, and that sounds so bad. It sounds so bad for me to even say that, but that is part of the peace that God has promised us that if we just stick to what Scripture gives as the, as the teaching and we stick to the gospel and we stick to making right judgments and right, right application of the Bible in a practical sense, according to Scripture, um, <laughs> we're going to be at peace in the midst of incredible turmoil. And beloved, that is something that I, I wish I could just cement into my own mind so that I would not go through these things again. But it's gonna happen. We're gonna continually happen. So the elder brothers and I have to maintain our responsibility. We have to teach, we have to we have to be submissive. We have to serve the local church as servants unto Christ as they submit to Christ through our oversight and do that which is required of each of us, and support one another, you know, emotionally and spiritually and even financially, you know, we have an obligation to the body of Christ first and foremost, and we learn about those things in our understanding of Scripture. And the final thing is that we must understand the Bible and apprehend it um, prayerfully. We must realize that If we're not asking, if we're not seeking understanding, we probably won't get it. Uh, There's a big difference between the person who goes, okay, I know what I'm talking about, this is what the Bible says, and this is the truth, versus the person who says, Father, I think I know, please teach me the truth. Please show me wisdom here as I read your word and as you teach me. There is an expectation that that is not arrogant. The Scripture teaches that God opposes the proud, and gives grace to the humble. Now, that's, not a, that's not a salvific thing. That's an expressionary reality of what God the Holy Spirit does and how believers, when they're haughty, can expect nothing from the Lord, as James says, but believers who are humble, who realize that everything that they are is from the Lord and that if He doesn't come and give, they have nothing, even in the practical sense of Christian living, uh, that, that they can expect nothing. So that is that is very important because all these other things are important for us to know and realize. But beloved, that's really what the church is all about. We're supposed to be living together and learning together and learning from the Bible and encouraging each other to read the Bible, not prying into each other's business, not being busybodies but we're to prayerfully study and prayerfully teach and prayerfully inquire and be patient. God is not on James Tippin's timetable. And if he wants to take 10 years to grow somebody and to correct somebody, that is his business. If he wants to do it in 10 seconds and blow the man's hair back or my hair back or whoever, then that's his business. But we are instruments of mercy. We're objects of mercy and grace. And so we have no warrant to feel like we are better off spiritually, more knowledgeable spiritually, or in any way, in any position different than anybody else around us who confesses the gospel of Christ. And when we find things that don't fit the correct narrative of Scripture, the correct instruction of Scripture, we're to be kind, and we're to be gentle, and we're to correct with all patience and all um, gentleness and kindness Because if we're not going to do that, it means that we think that our aggression and that our power moves are going to make a difference. Listen, our aggression and power moves are not going to make a difference. Uh, You notice that even Joshua, you know, sometimes people like to be Joshua. They want to be aggravated that the spies don't want to go in there because they're scared. Let's just go in there and do it. But even Joshua never, ever, ever did anything without the command of God through Moses. And then when Moses was dead, Joshua never did anything without the command of God directly. So the command of God directly to the New Testament church is written in the apostles' letters. And we do well to pay attention to that. Peter even says that, doesn't he? He even says that. I think i got one more question. Um, let's see. I might not be able to. Yeah, I can do this. All right. This this one came in yesterday. Uh, and I saw it as I was typing in some of the other stuff on Facebook. Um and, uh, and sadly, I, I, know, I, I know this sentiment. This is why I'm coming off of Facebook. I don't, I'm not going to engage in these things anymore. People who, are, who, who make a living, and I'm using that term lightly, but people who are known for always telling who are and who are not believers, who are who are not true Christians, who are false teachers, these people are to be avoided according to the Scripture. These people have no use in the body of Christ whatsoever. Um, they aren't prophets uh, and it breaks my heart, but these people should be avoided, and they'll tell you that I am, should be avoided because I believe this. It's 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 ironic, and you know that might be a straw man fallacy. Or not, it doesn't matter. The Scripture does not give us the warrant, nor the command, nor the instruction. Uh to make much of error and to make much of wrong. We just sat here and heard nine things that we should understand and know of how we approach and interpret and apply the Scripture in our lives as Christians. And none of the instruction there has anything to do with constantly dealing with error, mocking unbelief, talking about false teachers. This stuff for Grace Truth Church is coming to a quick end. It will be, matter, it will be a matter of discipline in the future, uh, and that means correction um, because it becomes cumbersome and it creates a it creates a um a law that someone can't live under if these things are necessary for salvation and these distinctives are necessary for assurance then the bible is a lie and christ is a liar and god the spirit is a liar and the prophets and the apostles are liars because they teach through their through the scripture that christ is sufficient and his work his atoning work for his people is sufficient and that the instructions given to the New Testament church had nothing to do with these things. As a matter of fact, on the several short occasions that we see the apostles teaching people to deal with false teachers, uh, he's talking only to elders, and he's telling the elders to warn them and silence them, and that if they don't silence them, just to put them out of the church and say to the church, this person would not commit and submit to the scripture. He's gone. Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't know how I've been too patient, but I'm not a patient person. So I overcompensate with, uh, as the elder brothers will tell me, and some other brothers have told me through the years, that I'm too long suffering, that I almost become negligent in some areas of oversight because I'm trying to be too patient. I always want to wait. I'm thinking, okay, another month, this person will come to their senses. Uh, And I think I can be patient and wait on that after action. So, the action is patient correction and instruction. Those who listen to patient and pa- those who listen to correction and instruction and come under subjection to the scripture, they walk together with the brothers and sisters and those who don 't um, leave and those who leave are expelled and excommunicated from the family of faith until such time as they come back and say, "You know, I made a mistake and then it 's as if we 've won our brother because we are able to celebrate the power of God in reconciliation because of the Spirit of God who teaches us of our righteousness imputed from Jesus Christ. So how should we deal with those who are aggravating us? Block them. If it's social media, I'm telling you right now, you are under no obligation to listen to this. Um, don't listen to them. Those people who are in your life and they call you, tell them, if you say this to me again, if you talk to me about these things again, I'm going to take you out of my life until you stop because I will not listen. And the same thing goes, you know, and this isn't just about this type of stuff that's so prominent today in the so-called Christian sovereign grace circles, so-called sovereign grace. People don't believe the gospel acting like this. You see how easy that is to do? That's the error that we have to avoid because we get cynical and we get frustrated and then we base our the, their, their assurance on how we view them in their actions. No, the Bible says we can just let them go. We can take them out of our lives and we pray for them and be done with it. Reconciliation now is on them as long as it's up to us. We do what the Bible says and then the then that person who is the offender can come back in. And if they've been offended, there's a way to do it. See, everybody's a victim at the end, isn't it? But beloved, there is no warrant for this. I'm warning the church. No, you're not. You're the devil's tongue. You are the satanic tongue when you go and you do this stuff. I found out tonight that people have been writing letters about me that I've not even seen. It's a joy. It's not the first time either. It was done in 2012. It, it was done. It's been done my entire life. But it, it, it's okay because it is what happens when we hold to the truth and the sufficiency of Scripture as our guiding light and the rule of all things concerning faith, so we're not going to do, we're not going to be bothered, but a little while anyway. Um, but it's not just this either. Uh, we also have the obligation. We have no obligation for the for the those people who continue to bother us with politics, continue to bother us with the negativity of social issues, continue to demand that as Christians you have to believe this way and you have to do this way. I mean, I've lost a lot of friends because I don't agree with their. Idiotic philosophies, in my opinion, on their political points of view. (laughs) But the very fact that I know that I think that their views are idiotic means that there's an opposition there. So what do I do? I don't talk about these things. I'm not going to discuss them. And that makes people angry. I'm not going to discuss them because if I automatically, if I from the beginning think that something's idiotic, what good is going to come out of it for me to say that or to me to communicate that or to me, for me to argue it when it has no eternal value whatsoever? So in the end of that, I'd say, no, I'm not going to talk about these things. Oh, then I just can't trust you as a brother because you won't talk about these things. You see, don't let people rule you in that way. You're under no obligation to anyone who is not walking in the truth according to the commands of Scripture. And there is no reconciliation except everybody listen to the full counsel of the Word of God. So these things are important unto the name of Christ. You might say, well, why does it matter? Why why do we have to work these Because it's the name of Christ. We are not glorifying God by being a participant and constantly in the midst of all these things. Beloved, you can't pray effectively when your spirit is downtrodden. When your heart is troubled, when you're in despair, when you're angry, when you're cynical, when you're depressed, you can't pray effectively when all you do is get up every day and when you think about spiritual things or think about the church, all you're doing is worrying about what's happening behind the scenes. Beloved, we have enough to worry about. Let's not add to that. And so with all that being said, we have a great Savior. We have a great God who has loved us eternally in Christ Jesus, and Christ died in our place to satisfy the righteousness of God, and he rose himself from the dead, and he's credited to us his righteousness, so there is no condemnation. We are free, and we're free from death. We're free of the power of sin. We're free from condemnation. We're free, but yet this old meat suit of ours, this mind, this world, this culture, there's always going to be everything Everything it offers is passing away and it's always going to cause us stress and anxiety. Beloved, we're not called to labor in the mire of anxiousness. We're called to labor in the midst of anxiousness with joy and peace and comfort. Attach yourself to the people who are carrying you in the gospel to places of worship and joy and peace. And don't worry about the rest. Let the Lord handle them. Let the Lord handle them. It is, if I were honest and could just say some things, I'd wreck my reputation in some of your eyes. But I I say it often, I am a fighter. I am a, uh, uh, a person that can shake the sense into somebody in my own mind. But because that is my nature, the Spirit of God has given me the heart to love and to be at peace and to be patient with people. Um, And so when people think that I'm not patient, sometimes I want to go, you have no idea what impatience looks like. (laughs) You know, like when you did something as it, when you got accused of something as a child and you've done nothing wrong, and so you're going to get punished or you're going to get chastised, and you just say to your parent, well, I didn't do anything wrong because I'm getting in trouble. I'm going to go ahead and do something wrong. You know, that mentality, let's not be there. It's what our flesh does. Uh, Let's be at peace. And so with all that being said, that's all the time that we have for tonight. And I love you guys. And I'm so glad that that you choose to spend your time on Sunday night with us. Share this video if you think it was helpful. If there's some things that you have questions about, uh, please let me know. I am glad to spend time talking with you and celebrating the gospel of free and sovereign grace together. Until Wednesday, we will see you guys in James uh, Wednesday night. Lord bless.